one then. I just had a moment when I thought, oh, what, what's, what are we called? <laughs> and then and then I did sort of a double, no, we're not called that anymore. We're called Big Business Briefs. Big Business Briefs. Hello and welcome to Big Business Briefs. With me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. Gosh, is it less than a week since we've recorded our last show and we've forgotten how to do it? I don't even know my name at the moment. <laughs> Never mind the name of the podcast. Oh, let's get stuck in with the first topic then. So you sent a link to an article that I couldn't actually access. So I went oh. and found an Australian version. Oh, okay. Which I could access. So um, the article was called Jobs That Will Pay the Highest Salaries in 2040. And uh, not that I'm looking for a job in 2040 myself, um, but interestingly enough, the first paragraph said how you can guide your children to a successful career. Um, Slight problem there, as my children don't want to know what I've got to suggest. Yeah, well, I I suppose that is, yeah, as soon as you start trying to steer your kids in one way or the other, maybe it's a double bluff, I haven't got kids, but maybe you go... Oh, yeah, working in IT is a really bad idea. No, no, I wouldn't do that. Artificial intelligence, no, <laughs> no. steer clear of that. No. And, and, anyway, if you want to read the article and you um, subscribe to The Telegraph, then feel free to go to The Telegraph. However, if all you want to do is read the first half a paragraph, um, then you might also find the same article in uh, an Australian website called news.com. Oh. Is it exactly the same article, I wonder, or is it just on the concept? It, it refers to the article in the Telegraph, actually. Okay. So oh, it's nice. a, an okay. article about an article. Okay. So the article that Heather sent me the link to is behind the paywall. So I only got up to, um, yeah, halfway through the second sentence of the first paragraph. Right. Okay. Well, th- the first thing that caught my eye was something that had got the year 2040 in it. Yeah. And me thinking well that's a long way in the future it's not that far is no it it's not it's not i mean it is for somebody at my age who you know i'm not going to be starting a career aimed at what's going on in 2040 i think i've started a bit late but there we go um anyway it's written it's written by a guy or it's it's based on an interview by a guy called mr badminton nicholas badminton. nicholas badminton and um he basically he didn't do very well at school, got a job as a milkman, and then his parents encouraged him to go back to college to study what they call a newfangled subject called computer science. And that's where the paywall kicked in for me. So I now right. jumped to the Australian. There we version. go. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, so yeah, he was born in 1972, and of course it was you know the birth of IT has happened throughout his life hmm. but we're literally a million miles away from whatever computer science was in those days compared well, to now okay so if it if it helps with perspective um i did a master's degree in it okay so after i'd done my degree and my degree was four years so yeah. you know it's time marched on but when i started high school we had um this newfangled thing called a computer suite. Ooh, that's a suite. A suite. And we had 12 BBC microcomputers in there. Oh that's because I went to a posh school, you see. So in that time from me starting high school, and then I, I did A-levels and I did a four-year degree, then I did a master's in IT. And when I was doing my master's in IT, the internet was still text-based. So I'm starting to feel really old now. Yes. But it wasn't that long ago. No. 
amazingly yeah. how quickly that has happened. Well, my husband quotes something where, I don't know, is it every year that the capacity of IT doubles and the price halves or something, you know, like everyday yeah. accessible IT. You know, you consider now the number of devices that we've got that are IT dependent. I, yeah, I don't know what I'd do without the IT oh, now. We just, just have them, don't we? So, yeah, when I when I tell people I've got a master's degree in a professional capacity, I, I generally don't say what the subject is in case they think I'm a bit more technical. <laughs> yes, I think what the what the IT masters did for me was made me, and I did I specialised in IT in my degree as well. So, um, you know, business and IT and economics as a speciality. I think what it did is it made me comfortable to have a go with IT. Yeah, yeah. yeah. E- even though things have moved on a pace, I'm still quite prepared to get stuck in and learn. So I, th- I think that's the main thing. But uh, yes. yeah, the, where IT is at the moment is a million miles away from where I did my master's degree. Well, that's when it first started. I think people thought it was some sort of magic. And now as time goes on, you do realise that, well, there is some magic. There is but, some magic. But, but we've at least recognised that it's not that easy to break. I didn't just say that <laughs> before I touched my laptop. I'm just looking at your printer now. Yeah, exactly. Well, printer is so fickle. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> so what I got from the Australian article was um, this um, phrase that's so common in, in a lot of things you read about the future of the workplace, and that's about the um, automation and technology disrupting many industries. Even doctors and nurses are not safe, according to this article. Mm. Um, and um, giving the warning that professionals in traditionally lucrative careers are still um, being put on notice. So um, Deloitte um, and the financial sector and the legal sector. So actually, I think the, the article pointing at parents is quite a good one because those you might be saying, oh, get into law, get into accountancy. And you've got a totally outdated view of where those sorts of uh, careers can take you. It seems like a dead end. (laughs) Well, yeah. And he talks quite a lot about, um, you know, automation. And he says it's not a case of if, it's a case of when. Yeah. Uh, And he says that machines are predicted to be better than us at translating languages by 2024, writing high school essays by 2026, driving a truck by 2027, etc., etc., and performing surgery by 2053. And in fact, we do know that computers are used quite a lot in some um, surgical procedures where people don't actually, they don't even need to be in the same room as a, a, as a body, do they? That they, they can do something to somebody from the other side of the world. Yeah. Which in itself Mind is... Mind-boggling, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, um, it does delve into some of the jobs, but um, as a high level, um, the Australian article anyway said that, that Australia's National Skills Commission had identified four important skills expected to be in demand in the future. Okay. So care, computing, cognitive ability and communication skills. Yay for Heather. Yay me. That's my pension. And um, it says that the skills reflecting um, the fact that human-centric roles are very hard to automate, such as those in the care sector, non-routine, non-repetitive roles that require cognitive ability. And obviously, then there are jobs in technology 
and so the demand for digital skills. So you've got two extremes, really, the people who can create, maintain, develop the technology, and then the people who do the human bit, the bit that can't be automated. Um, and, and, you know, the, the care, cognitive abilities, the human communication skills. Yeah, the, the um, he talks about healthcare... So he sort of describes these sort of groups of people, healthcare professionals and biohackers. Um, today, they would be doctors, nurses, surgeons, physiotherapists, nutritionists. And he, he basically suggests that, you know, what will happen is that we, yes, we might turn up at hospital. We will prepare ourselves to a certain degree. There will be some human intervention, like telling us where to go, but the number of people needed to, you know, already when I go to the doctors, there's a, a device where you can check yourself in. You know, the receptionist only checks you in when it doesn't work, which sometimes it doesn't work. Um, so, you know, there are certain things that we'll, we'll do ourselves in terms of the non-specialist elements, and then we'll be sort of fed into this, um, the clinical process. Mm. Now, one thing that... Um interested me straight away about reading about Nicholas Badminton was that he's described as a futurist. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason why this caught my eye is I went to a school show with my son and daughter, um, something that they used to hold pre-COVID at the NEC, and uh, they, they gather all the um, um, big companies and, and training centres and educational establishments in the NEC and bus loads of young people in so that they can learn about lots of different careers. And I did a little test um, alongside my daughter and my son. Uh, I think it was um, hosted on the HS2 stand. Okay. And uh, it came out as my ideal job was futurist. Okay. And I have to say, at that point, I was like, oh, I don't know what that what is. What that is, yes. <laughs> but Nicholas Badminton is a futurist, so there you go. And what is the definition? Is it is it everything that he's talking about here in terms of predicting how things are going to go, or is it... Yeah, I think it is that ability to look forward, um, you know, see, see where the mega trends are going and, and make some of these predictions. And what... In the Australian article, I'm assuming it's the same in the Telegraph article, um, he identified several future jobs in this role as futurist. So he's looked at the mega trends and he thinks that these roles are going to be the best paid, because that, remember that was the yeah. um, aim of the article, yeah. the best paid by 2040. So have you got the list of jobs there? Well, this I don't know if we've got the same. It looks like it. Human-centred designers and ethicists. Yes, he's got, got that, that one. Okay. And what I quite like is that he says, he gives a definition of what they would be today. So today they would be systems designers, software engineers, professors of ethics, uh, psychologists and philosophers. And he thinks that in 2040 you could be earning over £100,000. And then he goes on and talks about the education that you would need. Okay, so, so it doesn't go into that much detail in the Australian article. Okay, okay. okay. So human-centred designers and ethicists, yeah. Artificial intelligence psychologists I've got next. Oh, okay. Um, but robots may eventually need therapists too, he says. Yes, yeah. That, well, that's is that where he talks about 
You stop using your, your toaster and it gets a bit depressed about it. And then Our toasters may need help and we'll be there for them. So it's saying that psychologists need to upskill to understand artificial intelligence and how machines learn. Wow, okay. Metaverse architects. Yeah. So this yeah. is um, a, a catchphrase that we're hearing quite a bit about at the moment with Mark Zuckerberg, isn't it? Um, and have virtual versions of yourselves in this metaverse. Um, so he's saying here that those who've traditionally trained as architects, video game designers, sound engineers, retail experts will actually be in demand in the metaverse, preparing these platforms and, and you know, making the, um, the infrastructure appropriate to for companies to sell to you, I guess. Yeah, and do you remember last week we were talking about the lady, um, uh, they got a BAFTA for a video game, didn't they? Yes. A BAFTA? Yeah. And so he's, um, Badminton is lumping together under this metaverse architects and world builders. He's talking about video game designers, visual artists, musicians, sound engineers, fashion designers, retail experts. That's very much about the sort of experiential part of life, isn't it? Mm. So And then making that into a virtual world. Whatever, yes, yeah. yeah. Okay, I've got next, activist artists and creators. Yeah, yeah. So in bad news for those working for the television industry, um, Mr. Badminton believes traditional viewing platforms will be dead. Instead, art plus contents plus experience will be everything. It sounds intriguing. I want a part of that, actually. Um, and he believes that offline entertainment like theatre, dance, street art, fine artists, artists and live musics will actually enjoy a renaissance. Yeah. But the, the traditional platforms of delivering it will change. Okay. What have you got next? Um, so he's got uh, cybersecurity and misinformation experts. Oh. Um, allegedly earning over a hundred thousand pounds. Obviously, that's um, the equi- modern day equivalent. Um, today, they would be software developers, data and business analysts, database administrators, AI trainers and engineers, and cybersecurity experts. So, my husband comes into this. Uh, education needed, computer science. There you go. Okay. Uh, and information theory. And then, um, linked to that is data economy coaches. Okay, I haven't got I haven't got that here. You know, I've got what? data economy coaches. So this is where um, data is your personal data is a commodity, and so he says that we'll need people to help us to navigate the value of our personal data. Well, that will have something to do with the fact that he says that we will need online police people. Oh wow! Uh, to respond to cyber attacks and ensure privacy, security, and safety for all. So. That feed, you know, those two things sit together, don't they? We're already starting to recognise that our data has a value, but the more that we exist in the virtual world, the more valuable that's going to become, surely. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even pretend to imagine that I know all the jobs that my kids will be considering in, in their lifetime. Um, but I think this sort of approach that he's taken seems to be quite viable like, like it just you can see that, yeah. that that that's the route that um stuff that's actually already there at the moment 
it's just going to become more it's extending so. that, yes. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, he says that he believes that we will be a society of generalists and people with multiple projects on the go, and that's you know you you multi um, that you know, jobs will be seen as a, a constellation of projects. He says rather than jobs. Oh, I was born before my time, Heather. Obviously, obviously. Or obviously. way after, because I was either Renaissance, or um, I should be in the twenty forties. Yeah, I think I was born after my time personally. <laughs> but from a business point of view, where all of this is really interesting is the lingo that is being spoken, mm. um, the the job, you know, the job titles. And how, as businesses, we can anticipate and exploit certain parts of this shift. Because as we've said, it's only 18 years till 2040. You know, if you've got a business and you're here for the long haul, this is going to affect you. So in terms of your recruitment strategy, in terms of your pro- the, the products that you may or may not sell, virtual or otherwise, there's quite a lot of stuff to think about here in terms of your own business so i often think about the future of the workplace maybe not looking as far forward as 2040 but um um, i work in heavy industry and we're often looking at you know how how do we interest people to come and work in heavy industry or do we try and re-engineer the work so that they're not as close to that that dirty industrial side of it do you do you move the people away from the process but as you do that then you are needing more of the people because if you're going to get robots in you need people to maintain the robots yes it's charlie in the chocolate factory all over again isn't it um where where he's he was um screwing the lid on the toothpaste and then the robots did it, and then he got a job as the maintainer for the robots screwing the lid on the toothpaste. Yes, yeah, exactly. If you recall. Yeah. So yeah. all of that, it's like, do we, I mean, one of the jobs that isn't mentioned on here is those people who are involved in heavy industry. Yeah. Presumably, the need for some of that heavy industry isn't going to go away. It can't, because we, we, we make need stuff, those we things, build stuff, don't we? We need yeah. stuff, yeah. So do the, um, do the value of those jobs go up? because you have to pay people more to attract them into heavy industry as opposed to being a healthcare professional biohacker. Yeah. Or do you shift that job away from manual interaction with people and move it into more automation so that then you're paying for the skilled mechanic or robot engineer? I think you've got a couple of choices, haven't you? Well, well, yeah, and... and, I, th- I think, you know, there are so many things we're trying to, this guy obviously knows his stuff, but, you know, we're trying to second guess what things might look like. One of the things that he mentions is food engineers. Food and, engineers, and okay. He, he says today they would be farmers, educated education needed, biochemistry and engineering. And then he talks about we can print 3D, we can 3D print food. Okay? That's just mad. Yeah. Um, and we can grow different kinds kinds of food in bioreactors where you take a cell from an animal, put it into a bioreactor and literally end up with a pound of that meat. So a food engineer is a person who's able to engineer different foods at the molecular level. And if you so we think that's bonkers. So who's to say that we don't end up with massive 3D printers that print the sort of stuff that's being manufactured? You know, if we can print if we food. Can, if, yeah, if we can grow food and print food, uh, you know, grow food from cells and print food, 
who's to say that we wouldn't be able to print an iron girder or... Um... Can I just say that I think the human race is completely bonkers. <laughs> but I expect they, they, didn't they say that when they wanted to bring the trains in? Yeah. You know, we don't need trains. Yeah. We'll never fly. Okay. This 2040 is looking a bit strange, isn't it? I'll be there sucking my gums in my <laughs> care home, wondering what's become of the world. <laughs> Where your food's appearing on a, on a, a fr- with the robots. Oh, no, the, but the care will need to be provided by a human. Not, not necessarily all of it. Mm. Just a bit where they talk to me like I'm a mad old lady. Yes. <laughs> anyway. Yes. Food, literally, no pun intended, food for thought from... <laughs> From a, a career's point of view, if you're somebody who's who's thinking about, you know, your career in 2040, but also from a business point of view. And if you're advising your children whether they want to hear you or not, uh, it, it's worth reading just to get an understanding that what you've experienced through education and the career is not what your children are going to be experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. So jobs that will pay the highest salaries in 2040 it's available on Telegraph, but if you want to actually read it, you need to go past the paywall. Um, but if you put that same title into Google, I came across this Australian article and it pretty much summed up what um, you got from the Telegraph. By the way, I don't subscribe to the Telegraph, so I don't know how I got the whole article. Yeah, I just don't think the Telegraph likes me. Does it give you a couple of articles a month or something? Maybe, Maybe. It does, I yeah. don't know, it's just timing. Um, anyway... Oh, you might get lucky then. You might get to read it. You might, so. yeah. yeah. Okay, so then a review. I've actually read a whole book. Well, you've done very well. A whole book. A whole book. And, and you picked um, this book. Yeah, you picked up, you stole two books, did you, from your brother's desk? Or you saw no, them on your brother's desk? No, I saw them on my brother's desk. And I thought, that they look like interesting books. So I had a little look and I thought, yes, I think they are. And ordered them. Okay, so the one that um, particularly caught my eye was the one that says, in, um, just across the top, it's a red book, it says Relationology. I thought, oh, that's a good name, Relationology. And it looks like it's got a sort of through the keyhole, keyhole. 101 Secrets to Grow Your Business Through the Power of Relationships. Uh, that's not the book I read. I assume you've read it because it's the book you had in your hands. I haven't read all of it. Okay. No, not like you. You've read a whole book in a week. Yeah, I read Relational Superpowers, a book about seven skills that will help you build extraordinary relationships that will grow your enterprise. So I got that. Um, must have got it on Kindle. Yes, I did. That was on Kindle Unlimited. Uh, so currently available free if you subscribe to Kindle Unlimited and the third book in um, his um, trilogy repertoire is uh, Grow Your Business 13 Keys to Build a Relational Ecosystem that will generate a constant stream of business growth opportunities but he also has a free ebook and I downloaded the free ebook and found that um, it's it contains a few of the stories that are actually in the superpowers book that I read. Okay. So if you want to get a good feel for his writing and to, to get a, an overview of the things in the superpowers book, then you'll find it in the ebook that's available by giving them your email address. So far, I haven't been inundated with a load of crap. Um, so okay, um, it seems like quite a, a fair exchange. And um, it's 
titled Building Profitable Relationships and it goes through seven behaviours, which seems to fit in with the relational superpowers, which talks about seven skills. So I did right. notice a parallel okay. there. Okay. And it's got a good quote in that ebook. So former US President Theodore Roosevelt said, the most important single ingredient in the formula of success is knowing how to get along with people. I yeah. thought Heather, the communications yeah. expert, might agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Should we mention the, the author of these? Oh yes, this, sorry, um, we should mention the author. Yes, uh, a guy called Matt Bird. Um, he set up a company called Relationology, which is the title of the book that I am holding in my hand, uh, which helps leaders achieve goals through building transformational relationships. I hate the word transformational. Um, everybody who starts talking about being transformational coaches and all, I think it's bullshit. So, um, but anyway, transformational relationships. He hates the phrase networking. There we go. <laughs> we all have our pet hates. We all have our pet hates. Yeah, but he's um, he's a, a speaker, a broadcaster, and he also on his website has um, various programs, coaching programs, mastermind groups, etc., uh, where you can um, benefit from his. Relationology approach. Yeah, yeah, his approach, his approach. Okay. Yeah. So, um, can I tell you about the networking thing? Because I actually yeah. think you might quite like this. Because yeah. we've talked over the years, haven't we, about how networking is not going into a room and expecting to sell to people. Yeah. And I think that's why he dislikes networking. Um, he says the uh, driving motivation when you are networking is to get. He says then business networking is slightly more sophisticated based on the reciprocity. If you do something for somebody, then you're more likely to get uh, to, for them to do something yeah, for you in around, return. Yes. So you give to get. Yes, yeah. Where he says relationology is different is you give to grow. It's not what you get from the relationship that matters. It's what you become as a result of the relationship. It's about giving and being generous in a relationship in order to grow yourself and your relationships over the long term. So that's essentially the evolution for him is yeah. the traditional idea of networking and you only speak to people who are going to get something for yeah, you. what's in it for me. Yeah. Business networking, fair dues, but it's give and take. Yeah. And relationology, his approach is very much you give to build a relationship and then with that comes growth. Yeah, I, I um, saw a guy speak a number of years ago now, and I can't remember his name, but I always remember, and I refer to it quite a lot, he said that um, when you go networking, there are dealers, people who think that a good, a good networking session is when they've given out lots of business cards. And there are collectors who think that a good networking meeting is when they've collected lots of business cards. <laughs> and actually, what you want to be is a connector. You want you, you want to be the third person in the triangle where you're connecting people, um, because if you do that, it it asserts your position as being knowledgeable and knowing people. Yeah. Um, but it's also it's giving and, and you know what goes round comes round. And he builds on that in this book Relationology. So he talks an awful lot about um, being being present, referrals keeping in contact with people you know, turning a stranger into a friend. And they're, and they're literally done in bite-sized chunks. So there'd just be like, you know, a page, um, use names immediately. So, you know, 
to, to so that you can remember people's names but don't do it in such a way that they think, why do you keep saying my name? Because that's quite annoying. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's uh, <laughs> we've all met people like that. They just keep saying Heather. And you're like, yes, I know my name. Yeah, I know you're trying to remember my yes, name. Yes, Could you just not make a note in exactly. your phone or yeah, something? exactly. So tell me more about superpowers. So superpowers. This is, again, presented in such a way that he suggests you use the book in conjunction with videos and distance learning offers but actually the book itself is I, I think is sufficient um you can read around it and it's presented in such a way that he um, he pre presents a subject so of the seven superpowers and at the, at the end of each chapter he gives you a little challenge so now go off and do something about that so um making somebody feel special it's interesting about the superpowers because we've talked about soft skills yeah. being now power skills yeah. and this links into that doesn't it and yeah. also interestingly enough i think it links into the topic we started the podcast with today which is about those human communication skills yes. yeah. so um, I, I did have a little wry smile um, as I was reading this, thinking, oh, it's almost as if we'd planned that subject with this review. We did. Yeah, of course we did. we did. Yeah, we yes. did. Um, so, yeah, making people feel special, keeping in contact, generating new business, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it, he quotes some experts in the book as well. Uh, but, yeah, what I like, his, his style, it's easy to read. I mean, I, I read the book in a couple of hours, and I like the little challenges, even if you don't do them. Actually, actually, that whole stopping to think about how I might do incorporate that. You yeah. know, yeah. I didn't feel the need to actually go out and do that particular thing. Yeah. Um, let me have a look. Um, there's loads of different things. Um, in his book, Relationology 101, he refers to that book. He says there's yeah. a ch chapter called Don't Open a Shop unless you know how to, to smile. smile. Yes. <laughs> Did you read that chapter? Yes. Because yes. yeah, because it's a nice it's a nice title and, and of course it goes back to that he talks about being present. And it's like if you don't um if you don't want to be somewhere, people are going to pick up on it. If you're not interested in people, people are going to pick up on it. Yeah. The best relationships, you know, we talk about people who are, you know, really charismatic and you know, you meet people at a party or whatever and they're the people who can make you feel like you're the only person in the world and that they've really listened to what you're saying. Yes, they've really, yeah. There's yeah. a one line in here where he says, listen with your eyes. eyes I think yes. that's really valuable. Yeah. Yeah. But what's useful in this book is he recognises the fact that you just can't have relationships with hundreds of people. So he introduces this concept of a relational ecosystem and he describes five concentric circles. Okay. So um, he talks about the soulmate circle, where you've got um, fewer than five people who we choose to be soulmates with. Um, the people we dream with, imagine the future with, bounce ideas around with, problem solve with them. We go on to create and innovate with these people. Then the next circle out is the super family circle. And this includes immediate family, of course, but a cluster of people who are virtually family. And there's probably about 15, no more than 15 people in that circle. I did start to feel that I don't know enough that people. That sounds like quite a lot in that close circle. Yeah, well, think. it gets even bigger. He's got a speed dial circle, the next okay. one out. And this is a circle with the number of allocations in his smartphone for speed dial numbers. 50. 
Okay. And he speaks to those people most weeks. Bloody hell. Yeah, this guy's I've busy. I've got time to spend all my time on the phone. <laughs> then the fourth circle are the social relationship circle. He knows their names and their families and what they're passionate about. He reckons that the average in that circle is 150. Okay. And he has a list of relationships and once a month he reads down the list and then he reaches out to somebody in that list. In this book, he talks about it as a Christmas card list. Oh, I haven't finished my fifth one Oh, yet. sorry, I'm the sorry. Fifth, the oh. social media circle. Oh, sorry. Which is very wide. Yeah, thousands. okay. Right, go on, tell me about no, the no, Christmas so, card no, list. No, sorry, um, I didn't, didn't mean to interrupt. Drop the book now. <laughs> Would you like me to pass that he talks about <laughs> He talks about making a Christmas card list, which is a similar thing. Oh, yeah. You know, so there are certain people on that list who you know, our family, you know, very close friends. And then you get further down the line and there are people who... You might send a Christmas card to, but that's it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lady I've been sending a Christmas card to for 30 years. She's still alive. She's still alive. Her husband, who was the person that I knew, isn't. Um, I've never met her, but I send her a Christmas card every year. Because you're kind of like, well, when we, why would you stop? Yeah. You just sort of stop when you don't get one from her because that might mean that she's not here anymore. Or she's decided that she doesn't know who this one is. This one that keeps sending you cards. That was a big thing that happened last year or the year before, I think. A lot of Christmas cards didn't come. Um, And I think that's because I must have upset an awful lot of people. Anyway, the point is, it's thinking about the people that you know. Yeah. You know, who are they and where do they fit? Because you can't have 500 close acquaintances he also has another dig at networkers in the same chapter here so he says networkers put a hundred percent into only the relationships they get something from so he says you should stop networking and start relationships invest in relationships not just the ones you get something from be generous give a bit of yourself to others as a networker i resent that comment because that's not how I network. No. But there are people... That do, yeah. That do. And I, I thought it that. was... Yeah, because when we talk about the nuances in networking, so there's a good way to do networking, and there's the bad way, and yes. he's obviously yeah. lumped everybody into the same. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's, yeah that's, definitely not, um, that's definitely not how I network. Sorry, a weird message just came up on my laptop. A weird message? Yeah, it's gone now. I'm hoping that... Yeah, <laughs> and then I highlighted something else because I'm doing a lot of leadership training at the moment, and um, you know, it's, I'm lo- always looking for material to use in the workshops. So he says in here, for me, there are two principles in leadership: knowing how to lead yourself and knowing how to lead people. It's about self and social awareness, about understanding the way that we and others are hardwired, and then it goes into the communication sort of yeah. science. Yeah. yeah. Um, what else did you find, Heather? Well, uh, well, simply that, I mean, I think this book's good. I think I struggled a little bit with his website just because it started to feel a little bit um, uh, I'm going to use the word evangelical just because I'm very wary of you, you get a lot of people who set up websites and, you know, and they they talk a good talk and they seem to be positioning themselves very well. They're very good marketers, self-promoters. Yeah. But having said that, so if I were only looking at his website, 
I wouldn't have I wouldn't have hung around. But because I think this book is good. So your book is Relationology One Hundred and One, and mine is Relationology Superpowers, yeah. and I would recommend it. Yeah, yeah. So it's maybe it's horses for courses. I don't know, but he works with a lot of large organisations. That's fantastic. Um, but don't don't get put off by the website. That, that's what I would say. Yes, it's it's worth a punt on at least one of his books. Yeah. Okay. So that's Matt Bird, Relationology, three books, and the one that I read is available on Kindle Unlimited. If you have that, they're not too expensive anyway. The um, small paperback books, aren't they? Yeah, I can't remember what yeah. I paid for this. I think I might. Yeah, I can't remember what I paid. It's meant to be eleven pounds, but I don't think I paid eleven pounds. <laughs> Okay, now we go to the tricky part of the show where actually we, we were having a bit of an existential crisis before uh, we actually started recording. And we're already 35 minutes into the podcast. Because we can talk a lot about stuff. A lot about stuff. And we realised that of late we haven't been talking quite so much or been enjoying researching quite so much. People, Certain people that we've been tasking ourselves with looking at and we wondered um, why that was. I'm not quite sure we came up with a conclusion. We've profiled about 200 people. Yeah. And some of them have been amazing. We still talk about Ernesto Soroli and we still talk about Dame Stephanie Shirley, you know, and they are amazing. And, the, and, and there's certain ones that have led us off to go down other rabbit holes yeah. as well because we've done that yeah. bit of research. And we've so we've learned a lot about... They're not all high rank high ranking high profile people you know we found some we have found some really really interesting people however i i for me personally their journey is as interesting as where they ended up or yeah. where they are at the moment and sometimes and we were talking before we recorded whether people have just got better at being more private about I mean, you know, one person who shall remain nameless when we tried to profile them... Had <laughs> cleansed had, the had internet. ...had had the cleanse of the internet, yes. Had the power of the state to help them, though, didn't they? Yes, so, yeah. indeed. So whether people are just sharing less, I don't know. Oh, I, I did wonder whether we went for the low-hanging fruit in the, the people who were quite happy to be out there and be personalities and to be known yep. for who they are rather than what they've done. Yeah. And what we've been looking at recently is people who've done amazing things in their careers yeah. but don't actually want to be personalities. No. And so what you can read about is their career, but what we've been interested in over the years is the person behind yes. that career. Yeah, and I think we've identified that, rightly or wrongly, because because they're not floating our boat as much, then the quality of what we talk about probably isn't floating, <laughs> dear listener, <laughs> not floating your boat. So we need, we think we need a bit of a rethink, don't we? That's yeah. essentially. Yeah, and um, we thought we might widen the remit a little bit and start to explore and profile some companies because we've talked about companies previously because of the, obviously the people that we've been profiling have set up companies or run companies yeah. that have been involved in, in companies. So you, we end, to end up talking about them as part of that. But maybe we go in and focus about the growth of a company, the development of a company, and 
in that journey, there may be a number of people that we talk about. Yeah. The person that we were going to speak about today, when I was researching them, I found out some things about the company that I thought were really interesting. Yeah. Um, So... Because, you know, because it's different stuff and you go, oh, wow, that looks fun and that looks interesting. Oh, I wonder why they did that. Oh, COVID. Oh, you. And so. Yeah, so maybe it's time. We're almost up at 200 episodes for this podcast now. So maybe we found the time to evolve now into something different in this final slot. Well, we've already put our big knickers on, haven't we? Yeah, we pull up our big business briefs. Yeah. So. And are we going to start um, focusing on companies or you know organizations yeah yeah yeah. in this section but because we haven't prepped for it this week we're not going to do it no no so tune in next week so this is find out what the the press yeah yeah this is what we've decided to do (laughs) it's so hot off off the press that we we absolutely decided it while we were recording that's that's pretty immediate isn't it yeah i think so that pretty much sums up our approach yeah